Hi, everyone. This is Sam Stern, joined in studio again by my colleague Ryan Hart from our San Francisco office. Hi, Ryan. Good morning, Sam. How are you? Good. Thanks for being with us again. Last time you were here, we talked about prioritizing customer experience improvements and projects. This time, we wanted to talk to you about some of your research that gets into the idea of how companies help customers remember the experience, remember positive emotions with the experience. And this is a fascinating area of research that uh, you've been exploring, in my opinion. I I think that's almost an objective fact anyway. For most people, it's a fascinating idea to, to look at because what we remember turns out to not be very much uh, associated with what exactly happened. So our memories are not accurate pictures yep. of what actually transpired. So I'm wondering, what can you tell us maybe in two minutes or so about the you know, the faulty human memory and the implications of that for creating customer experiences? Sure. Really, it's the fact that customers don't really remember their experiences that they have with a brand, for example, with much accuracy. And there's a growing body of research that actually supports that. If, for example, you ask someone... And, and it's it's a it's very paradoxical because if you ask someone if you're as a company try to make this extremely seamless omnichannel experience, and the customer goes through that, and then you ask them how was the experience afterwards, the chances are if it was smooth and effortless, that most likely the customer will remember very little of it hmm. with much accuracy at all. And what we find is that customers generally will have a narrative in their head about that experience. So, for example, if they went to visit a branch and, let's say, the person that greeting them was not friendly to them, they may say in feedback, oh, you know, I had to wait 15 minutes, the person wasn't helpful. You look back at the operational data, it shows that actually they only waited about four or five minutes, yeah. but they've inflated that number because in their mind it was a bad experience, mainly because that one person was not friendly to them. And so they piece together this narrative story, which actually recreates the memories in our mind. Because when we think about the human brain, it's not like a hard drive where we can just go and we can just pick up specific facts or memories that happened to us in the past. We're actually piecing together these bytes of data to actually create a story so that that we can actually articulate in words. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, in a sense, we as individuals believe our memory is like uh, recorded video of what happened, when in actuality it's sort of a series of snapshots, some of which are fuzzy and out of focus, some of which are you know maybe aimed in the wrong direction, right? Yep. And but we take it as if it's a factual recreation of what actually happened. Absolutely, absolutely. What I think is so challenging about that mm-hmm. idea, and I'm sort of skipping right past it. It's a very profound area of research, as you were sort of alluding to, for mm-hmm. a lot of academics now, and for for you and James McQuivy here at Forrester. But um, what's so profound is we always talk about it's perception that trumps reality for mm-hmm. customers. What they believe happened and how they feel about it matters more than what actually happened. And yet they're acting as if they know what actually happened and that's how they're forming their perception. So I wonder how you think about that inherent unfairness, inherent inequity between what you can deliver. Because as you said, you can make the experience easier and easier and more seamless and more simple. And actually you're taking out something that might make it memorable to a customer, even if that little hiccup was a bad thing in the moment, but it actually woke the customer up, made him conscious for a second to notice how you recover and deliver the next part of the experience well. So how should companies think about this, where you know something that makes it easier isn't always better because it makes the memory less salient for the customer? Well, I think of it this way. When you look at the typical customer journey, for example, no matter how you create and design the experience, there will be obviously peaks and valleys. 
Yep. And so a lot of people talk in terms of this peak interactions. You know, you want to end on a high note. There is a lot of biological data in research that supports this as well, that if you have a terrible experience for the bulk of the experience, but you end well, the customer most likely will remember that ending point right. more than they will actually remember anything that actually happened during the experience. Not to say that you can go, you can get away with having a, a terrible experience and then just you know give them a, a little prize at the end and they'll forget about okay. it. But let's say, for example, you go into a hotel and you stayed at a really nice hotel. The complete stay was beautiful, seamless, a lot of good memories. But then at the end, you check out and the card machine doesn't work and it takes her time to figure out what room you're in and she's being rude and everything. At the very end, all you're really going to end up remembering about that experience was this last transaction that you had. Yeah. Whereas if you were staying in a hotel and it was a terrible experience the entire time and your room smelled and, and you had all sorts of issues... But in the end, the general manager comes up to you and says, I'm very sorry, you know, we've comped your meals, we've got you a taxi for the airport, we know you're running late, let me get the bags for you, and then smooths over everything. It's very interesting to see that the actual customer survey data that we see coming out of those is actually higher. And so that's why I think in terms of designing experiences, I think in terms of really it's a three-stage approach. First, you have that anticipatory phase, which some of my previous research talked about, which is you're building this positive momentum going into an experience so that, that someone comes starts the experience at a high level as opposed to just starting when they walk in the door, for example, or log into your website. You're already trying to build this positive emotional value at the beginning. Then you have the actual experience, and then you have the last interaction. I think a lot of focus from a lot of customer experience professionals has been traditionally on this middle section. Yeah. On making sure that they find and fix problems and they try to eliminate the negatives when really... A lot of that energy, if they would have put it maybe at the end, at the last interaction, or even at the upfront in the anticipatory phase, I think would actually result in an aggregate positive number. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think what you're highlighting there with those sort of two versions of the hotel experience, great until the end and then bad, and that's a bad experience, and then bad until the end and then you know you save it. Yep. And that's remembered better. The implications of that very narrowly sound like service recovery should absolutely be a point of emphasis for these companies. But also then, as you were getting into the where do you make more interventions, sounds like, you know, I, I know a lot of hotels will offer you a welcome drink. Sounds yeah. like you should offer me like a goodbye drink, right? Right. Little little grace note at the end. That's what, something that I even brought up in my research is, for example, you get onto an airplane like Singapore Airlines and they give you a nice warm towel at the beginning of the flight. And then after a 12-hour flight back to the States, for example, you get off the flight and you're tired and you're worn out. There's no towel. There's no nothing. So, I mean, it's like right. it's almost like what if they would just move that experience from the front of the journey to the end yeah. of the journey? I think you brought up a good point, though. I mean, yeah, I think service recovery and concentrating on the last interaction is, is quite important. But along that journey, any journey that you have, you're actually looking for areas of friction or areas that you can actually orchestrate interactions or intersections of that journey that you can actually create memorable experiences and evoke memories. So if you're looking for evocative memories, you know that ties back to some research that we're doing about signature moments and the ability to unlock value for customers at key intersections of their customer journey that actually in the end will leave evocative emotion that they can actually use to kind of create that memory, that long-standing memory. Okay, so let me see if I'm, I'm tracking this well. Sure. Um, a signature moment then is something that is more likely to be salient in the customer's memory 
of the experience. Is that right? That's correct. And, and obviously in a positive way, right? Yep. It's the things you can do as a company to help them form memories that they'll be able to recall better, which makes them then that much more likely to anticipate in a positive way doing business with you again. Yep. When you talk about signature moments, one of the things that you're aiming to do is to evoke specific emotions because really when you have a memory, your clearest memories are always memories that are tied to a strong emotion that you had at the time. So whether it was positive or negative, if you're designing very specific interactions that evoke very specific emotions, that's really the strategy to create an experience that they're going to remember for a long time. And I think that you know, companies for so long have just blindly said, oh, we're just trying to delight customers. Well, yeah. ne- necessarily, our customers, if I go into to my mobile phone and I just need to transfer money to my friend, for example, are they trying to delight me? I mean, is that a delightful experience? Or are you just trying to actually think about the context of that experience? Is it that I want to be assured, that I want to be confident that, right. that I had enough money in my bank and that my money went there? It's not about delight. It's about very specific emotions in the customer journey that you're targeting. You know, that's something that you can do with very smartly placed signature moments. Yeah. Okay. So there's sort of two things at least that are at least coming to my mind that where this sort of challenges a convention or is counterintuitive. One is, and we've touched on this a little bit, but I'd love for you to speak to this more directly, which is that friction in the experience can be a good thing. So I wonder how you think about that. When is a moment of friction or something that's not as seamless and perfect as it might be, when is that good? And when is that something to be ironed out or avoided in the experience? A strategically placed friction, for example, you can actually play off the anticipatory dopamine reaction that you have. So part of waiting is forming suspense, building anticipation, as you're saying, yep. for the actual experience. So you know, counterintuitively, maybe having to stand in line or yeah. having to wait a little bit, you know, not too long, but to get something... And it helps you enjoy it more. Exactly. So what else can you do with that time that they're waiting, for example? Yeah. How else can you potentially unlock value while they're waiting for something to be reviewed? So let, let me give you a second. We need to review your credit history. During that time, what can you actually give the customer or provide the customer to somehow unlocking value or so, somehow actually um, making the, the perception of that time less? And so that it's a little bit of friction, but you can use it to your advantage to actually create a memorable experience. Yeah. Very interesting story. But when the, some of the first elevators, they would ask people, like, how long was it for you to go up the elevator? How long did you think that it took? And they said, oh, you know, it took like three or four minutes. And obviously, they would always overestimate how long actually the elevator took. Yeah. But then they found that actually, if you put mirrors yeah. in the elevator, that people would be preoccupied with like looking, checking on the mirror, how do they address, how do they look, they have anything in their teeth, for example. And then they would actually say, oh, well, actually, it was only a minute and a half. It was only two minutes. <laughs> and so they were underestimating how long yeah. it actually took. That's fascinating. So it's, a, it's really about actually strategically placing elements of the experience to actually either introduce friction at the right time or to create some type of deterrent or, or uh, other abstraction that actually changes the perception of the experience. Yeah, that's a great example, too, because I, I doubt that is one where upfront customer research could have given you the insight that mirrors would do that. Yes. Because people would not want to admit that they are uh, happy to look at themselves in the mirror for a long period of time and feel like no time is passing. Um, That's admitting you're a narcissist a little bit. There was another example like that that maybe didn't reduce it, but the MBTA, the Boston subway and transit system, found that when they installed the countdown clocks in terms of how long you're going to wait for the subway, people's expectation, their memory of how long it took for the train to arrive was cut in half 
and of course, instantly mirrored reality, right? They, yep. they thought they were waiting 10 minutes when the average wait was about five minutes in terms of time on platform, and they were now able to say it was five minutes, and their satisfaction with how long it took to wait for a train went up by 50% because suddenly they knew exactly how long it would be, and it met their expectations. My expectation is formed by, it says five minutes, and the train arrives in five minutes. You know, you've set the expectation, but you're also meeting it. I can be pretty satisfied with that experience. The other sort of challenging conventional wisdom that I think is inherent in your research, I think gets at some of this uh, sort of train or communicate to customers in a way that they expect more or mm-hmm. better experience, then you're just raising their expectations and making it more likely you'll disappoint them. But I think what you and James have uncovered in, the, in some of the academic research and some of the studies that have been done is that actually if I heighten, my expectations are heightened in some instances or maybe in more instances and tell me how mm-hmm. this plays out, that there's some sort of self-fulfillment to that, right? If I expect more, I almost rationalize it that that was better unless it's really terrible. So I wonder how that dynamic plays out of where higher expectations maybe can be self-fulfilling sometimes. I don't know if you're necessarily consciously trying to raise the bar of the experience and say that, I mean, I think an element of setting expectations is really about marketing and communications and say that, you know, this is good, you know, we're, we're the, the most exclusive uh, luxury experience. So then you have already set that type of expectation. Right. Anticipatory CX talks more to identifying what it is that the customer maybe wants to do or what they're in their jobs to do or what their end goal is and actually trying to unlock value or introduce value to that customer before they actually even knew that they needed it or they were anticipating that. Right. And so it's using a little bit of analytic data. It's using actually a little bit of good, smart experience design, but it's really about playing on the neurophysiological response of, you know, anticipatory reward system that actually allows people to get excited for things that they anticipate in the future, which is actually we've seen is is more powerful uh, than actually retrospective viewpoints on you know an experience. So if someone's look, talking about what you're going to do this weekend, they'll talk about it very vividly and they'll say, "Oh, I'm so excited! We're going to do this. We're going to we're going to bring everyone. Everyone's going to be there." And then you talk about, "Okay, what did you wear last weekend?" They say, "Oh, they don't really remember hmm. it with much clarity because." You know, they're excited and they're focused on yeah. the now yeah. or in, in, in the future. They're not actually thinking about uh, what happened in the past. So they're not actively managing that. So what would be an example of um, how a company has, you know, as you said, has reflected that sort of neuroscience or the understanding of the brain and how we anticipate things to to create sort of a new front end of an experience that heightens anticipation? I hesitate to keep on going back to, to Disney, but Disney does that. They orchestrate mm-hmm. a very beautiful anticipatory experience before you even get to the park or before you get to the movie or or to the store or something like that. But I'm seeing more and more anticipatory elements in other types of businesses, online businesses such as TripAdvisor, for example. Hmm. TripAdvisor does a really good job of building anticipation for your next trip by, for example, after you've gone on a trip with TripAdvisor, they say, can you write a, a comment or can you talk a little bit about your experience. Then you say, they'll, they'll wait you know, a week or two and they'll say, okay, now five people have viewed your recommendations. What about your next trip? You say, oh, well, it's a little bit early. I'm not really thinking about my next trip yet. Then they maybe wait after you know a month or two months and then they'll send you another one saying, oh, wow, you know, 150 people have viewed your yeah. post and that, what about your next trip? And now all of a sudden you're getting really excited. You're thinking, wow, you know, actually, what about my next trip? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And they're kind of drip feeding you these little hits of dopamine, like this little yeah. anticipatory reward. That's a great example because I think you're really fusing together 
the idea of helping you remember your last mm-hmm. trip. Yep. And actually, I mean, their whole business is built on your sharing your memories of your last trip, good or bad, uh, with others, and then having that transition into your next trip. And, and uh, you know, I feel like I've seen studies or articles about the fact that you should always have your next trip planned because most of the enjoyment comes from the anticipation Absolutely. of it. And so TripAdvisor is really helping with that and understanding that mm-hmm. that is a trigger for the next phase of their business and you as their customer. But that they're helping you in the bargain. So I think it's a great example of how they're giving you what is better for you, but it's good for their business, right? Because yep. it's engaging you with reviews and with research on their site. Ryan, this is really interesting. I'm just endlessly fascinated by this topic. Listeners, there's a couple of reports I want to point you to that will, if you're as interested as I am, or even half as interested as I am, I think you'll want to read. First one is called Customers Need a Reason to Remember You. And I think this really gets at some of the points Ryan was making about the fact that memories aren't usually that salient. And so you need to help customers have things that they can point back to, that they associate with specific emotions that will make their memories more salient. Mm -hmm. And then also back to one from last year, the dawn of anticipatory CX, and a a really great uh, report from Brian and James McQuivy on this concept of helping customers heighten their anticipation using uh, some of the tricks of the human mind to uh, get them to be more excited about their next interaction with you. So thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ryan, again for joining, and we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of CXCast. And remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality. 